transmission is incoming for tuna sandwich. Transmission, there's a message from tuna sandwich. Hello and welcome to a very special tuna sandwich. Hark your brains back to a time in the late 80s when a global teen phenomenon swept the world. Maybe you liked them. Maybe you hated them. But you know the new kids on the block, whether you like it or not. They are forever immortalised as the boy band that paved the way for future boy bands and pop teen sensations. The global fever that surrounded the band allowed them to sell over 80 million records. That's so many. Side note, did they make any money from those albums? Haha, <laughs> lol, no. But I will do a New Kids on the Block specific episode because that is what my TED talk will be about one day. It is safe to say that the New Kids on the Block had the same frenetic fans that the Beatles had with that raw animal intensity to see, touch, adore and scream at these idols that adorned both walls and cassette tapes worn out from overuse. I was eight years old when the New Kids on the Block came on the scene, and I loved them wholeheartedly. Until around year six, when I left childish things like boy bands behind. After all, I was starting year seven. But still, to this day... Every note and dance move to Step by Step is ingrained in my soul. Then, along came the next obsession, which was obviously Edward Furlong. No, 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 no. You gotta listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say, no problemo. And if someone comes off to you with an attitude, you say, eat me. And if you want to shine them on, it's hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Let's just say I sat in the George Street Greater Union Cinema watching Terminator 2 and felt things I'd never felt before for this soon-to-be teen heartthrob. I spent all my pocket money on Teen Beat, Teen Idol and Bop magazine. And there was not a square of space on my walls that didn't have Edward Furlong's face on it. Time goes on, and eventually you transform into a more informed teenager. No longer enamoured with the fantasy of magazine teen idols, but forging a true path of exploration in the real world around you. I remember being in the car with my dad one afternoon in late 1994, and he wanted to play me a song he'd taped off the radio. He put a cassette tape into his shitbox, and we drove somewhere, and I heard Tomorrow by Silverchair for the first time. My dad told me that this band was from Newcastle, and not just Newcastle, but Merriweather specifically. And I've gone to Merriweather my whole life. This is where I lived when I was a baby. But most importantly, they were my age, and this was new territory. And let's not forget the iconic music video shot in the Newcastle jail. For me, I mean, that was love at first sight. I taped that music video and watched it about 50,000 times. 
I would get up and watch video hits and rage every weekend in the hopes of seeing it again. And I would have to sit through Sheryl Crow's All I Want to Do as it was in the charts at the same time. This ain't no disco. I'm pretty sure the whole world stopped at this moment. This song changed the entire course of my life. The music was good, the music was melodious, and the music pierced my soul. The Tomorrow EP was a revelation. I had one other friend who loved the band, and we went to a Silverchair gig at the Newcastle Foreshore together. The following year, in 1995, I turned 15, and I was expelled from Catholic girls' school and found my people. When you start a new school, it's important to define who you are so that you can find your crew. And I was defined by my love of music and Silverchair. And to my delight, there were two other girls who felt the same way. And this is how lifelong friendships are formed. We loved the band. We loved music. We went to every live gig that we could. We would spend pretty much every afternoon watching Live at the Cambridge And we defined ourselves as music appreciators, not teeny boppers. Those screaming girls were ruining the music for us. The irony to hate what you might be, but were we? We certainly didn't identify that way. We had tickets to see Silverchair play at the Metro Theatre in 1995, which was peak Silverchair, by the way. And when we got there... The amount of crazy, screaming girls was too much for me. I didn't identify with that crowd. I couldn't get past it. I just didn't want to be in that environment. So I walked into the McDonald's and sold my ticket and got the fuck out of there. Life regret? Maybe. But I didn't want to be that. To be that rabid fan who wants to eat the band alive much like John Baptiste in the novel Perfume. To be clear, I did love the band. And yet, I did want to see them. I wanted to look into their eyes and see the magic that lies there. It can't possibly be the same mortal blood that flows through their veins that is the same as mine. The three of us went to the first home bake in the Belongal Fields at Byron Bay to see Silverchair play. We were tackled in the mud and stood in the rain and saw them play Slave and Learn to Hate for the first time. We froze and walked for miles in the darkness to a service station to get picked up at the end of the night. We went to the Easter show and scaled a wall and jumped about 10 feet down and ran from security into a crowd of thousands to see them play. Because you do that for the band, you risk it all. You stand in a crowd of thousands and fear for your life because the crowd crush is real. And maybe at some point you need to be pulled out because it's so hot and you are about to faint. But you do it for the band. I had my ankle nearly broken in a storm circle that broke out around me in a silver chair mosh pit. There were two more bands to go until they played and I stood there in agony because you do that for the band you love. And I was with my best friends throughout all these experiences. It becomes about more than just music. It's a soundtrack to the greatest friendships you'll ever have. It's music that transports you back in time. It's how we time travel to a place where we all found each other and friendships formed and memories that have become core parts of our lives to this day. I totally understand that there are creepy fans out there 
the obsessives and the unhinged maniacs. In the book that just came out by two-thirds of the band, Silverchair fans are described as intense. And from listening to the Daniel Johns podcast and the amount of intensity the fans had for the band, I feel really bad and in a way responsible for whatever bad feelings they have towards us, the fans. And I'm sorry that our love for you hurt and scared you. It's only because you represented an attainable dream in a way that no other music idols ever did or ever could. You were all so ridiculously talented and good-looking. Like, illegally good-looking. My ovaries exploded the day I saw you. The world we lived in was so small, and Silverchair opened it up. And for that, I am forever grateful. I think fans just want the opportunity to meet their idols so they can say thank you. There are no words of gratitude that can fully express how much greatness you brought into my life through both the music and the culture and the people of the time. Through these songs, you changed the course of my life and I will be forever grateful for every good thing you brought into it. And if you ever need a bone marrow transplant and no one else is a fit, take mine. Of the three of us in that teenage friendship group, only two of us are still friends, much like the band. Because life separates you through time and distance. But we would always joke and say we'd catch up when the band got back together. Ha <laughs> ha. We all knew that was never going to happen. Even in our wildest dreams, we knew that indefinite hiatus meant not for a million dollars with a gun to my head. But then Lisa messaged me to say there was a book launch in Newcastle, and maybe we should go. So we did. Later that night, after the event, we were walking down Derby Street, and I said, hey, let's go into a bar for one last drink, and then we'll get a taxi home. And we sat there, and I looked around, and the crowd looked familiar. And I said to Lisa, I'm pretty sure we just walked into the bar where the Silverchair book launch after party is. And it was. Can you imagine telling our 15-year-old selves that this would happen? They would die. They wanted nothing more than this moment that we were living. So we stayed, and we drank, and we watched from afar because we didn't want to be those fans, the ones that creeped the band out and made things awkward and horrible for them. We said we'd leave after one more banger played. And then Straight Lines came on, and it was the most surreal night ever, to say the least. We giggled about it in the taxi on the way home, because we are still those two girls, the outcasts, walking around the school listening to Hole with a discman between us and one earbud in each ear. And we honour those girls by catching up every 10 to 15 years. And we allow our 15-year-old selves to be proud of who we are and that a friendship like ours can endure 29-plus years of friendship purely through the love of this band. Thank you for listening. This is Tuna Sandwich.